Hi, welcome to the shallow dive on the Dafyomi. I hope you enjoy. Let's begin at the Mishnah of Tesmet Aleph. Kol mitzvah saben al-av, all of the mitzvahs of the son on the father, anoshim chayovim, Rashi already tells us, Bigmar Mafarish, the Kol Masnison, the Mara is going to explain what we're talking about. Whichever mitzvahs we are discussing, they are upon men, Benoshim Pturus, and women are exempt. Kol mitzvah sa'av alaben, and all the mitzvahs that are on the father, on that uh, towards the son. Which again, we're going to see what these two categories mean. So you have two types of mitzvahs, two categories relating between parents and children. One is applicable both to men and women. One is exclusively upon men and not upon women. And all positive, time-bound commandments, meaning the commandments are limited in scope by time. Men are obligated. Women are exempt. And all positive, non-time-bound commands both men and women are obligated. So if it's a positive command that is not dependent on the time, then there is no difference between men and women. And all negative commands, whether they are time-bound or not, there is no difference whether men or women, both are obligated. With three exceptions. Other than the prohibition of cutting off the pasarosh, the corners of the head. Batashkas are the corners of the face of the beard. And the prohibition of being metame kohanim applies exclusively to male kohanim, not Baskoin, Okahenas. So these three prohibitions are exceptions to the rule. Let's see Rashi. Shazman Gramo, Shazman Gurim Law, Shetavo. The time causes the positive command to be in effect. Chutz Mibatakiv, Pesarosh, the negative prohibitions are generally speaking identical between men and women, except for cutting off Pes Harosh, Val Tashris, the corners of the beard, Val de Kohanim, the prohibition of the Mentame Kohanim is limited to the males, not the females. Let's see the Gemara. My Komisus of Al-Av. 
the beginning part of the Mishnah, what are we referring to? All of the commands of the Son on the Father, which we said there's a divergence. Women are exempt and only the men are obligated. If you say all the mitzvahs that a son is obligated to perform for his father, Nashim Turis, will you say that women are exempt? Ratanya, Ish, Yobraisa, describing the verse, a man. Aini Ela Ish, from the verse, Vayikra Yutaz Gimel, Ish, Imav Aviv Tirao. So Ish means a man. Ish Aminayim, but how do I know, says the Braisa, that a woman is also obligated in fearing her parents? And it says in the plural, they shall fear. We have included a multiple group, not just ish, but ish ve'isha, both men and women. The plural, not just the singular of a man, but it includes men and women, shall plural fear their parents, their father and mother, or more precisely, mother and father. So it can't be that it's describing in the beginning of our Mishnah the obligations of the children towards the parents because, in fact, men and women are both obligated towards the parents. Amar Rav Yehuda, Hachi Kama. So Rav Yehuda says, this is what the Mishnah is describing. All the misfos, all the obligations, commands of the son that are the responsibility and placed upon the father to do them for his son. Men are obligated. And women are exempt. So it's the opposite direction. That's where we have a divergence. Tanina laha, of a brisa to that effect, to Tanarabonon, as our sages taught, Ha'av Chayabibno, the father, is obligated concerning his son, Lamul, to perform a circumcision, Vilifdoso, and to redeem him if he should be the firstborn, Lamda Tara, to teach him Tara, Lasio Isha, to marry him off, Lamda Unus, to teach him a profession. Some say even to teach him how to swim. Rebuda said, any, anyone who does not teach his son a profession, Lamda Listos, is teaching him robbery. Listos, he's teaching him how to go and rob. Rather, it's as though he's taught him to steal, to be a robber, by not providing him with an upstanding means of supporting himself. So he's going to be scrambling, be pressured to take care of his needs, and succumb to doing so in an illegal manner, by robbery. See Rashi. If we'll suggest that the Mishnah is discussing the obligations of the son towards the father, which 
parenthetically mentioned the Rambam and the Pirish Mishnah says far at number beyond counting this short list of the father towards the son. And this is what it sounds like. All the mitzvahs that the son is commanded towards his father. Would you say women are exempt? We have the drasha. A man, his mother and his father, they shall fear. Mitzvahs that are placed upon the father. Like those enumerated in the Braisa, to teach him Torah, and to perform circumcision for his son, to redeem him, the haste the five silver coins, if he is a firstborn, to marry him off to a woman. All of these are derived from various verses. Slightly different girsa than what we have in, in our Gemara. Our says Bamain, Rashi says Benahar, to cross over the river. Shema Yifros Pastino, Tova, Yisaki, Im As a concern, maybe he'll go on a, a boat ride and the boat will sink and he'll become endangered if he doesn't know how to swim. Listos Akadaita would have thought that he's teaching him how to be a robber. Hello. We're talking about an absentee dad over here. He didn't teach him a thing. He taught him how to be a robber. It's as though he has taught him to be a robber. Since he doesn't have a job, doesn't have a profession, and he doesn't have bread either, the Pashas Rachim is going to go on the road, and say, Good afternoon, I'll be your mugger today. So he's going to go and steal from people because he doesn't have any better way to sustain himself. Interesting, if you look at the letters over here in the Ein Mishmat, we see the father's chayv concerning his son to do milah. Vilif doso, that's also, that both of those have letters. Lulam to teach him Torah. There's no letter, lasil isha, lulam omnas. Or All of those are ignored in the Ramam, at least in a direct sense. There is an oblique implication of the Lambda Omnus, in that if the father is teaching him, an Omnus teaching his son a profession, and inadvertently kills the son in the process, so the father does not go to Golas, he does not have to flee to the city of refuge. This is teaching him a profession. He needs to sustain himself. Apparently, he's busy doing a mitzvah, but it's, it's only an oblique reference. It doesn't anywhere say in Yadachazaka that there is such an obligation. And Moshe Feinstein has a mahalach about this. He says that the primary chiyuv is Alam Torah, and to the extent that he needs to teach him an omnis. If there's... Uh, it's it's not a, a fixed chiyu, but to the extent that it is necessary based on the circumstance. So that's where 
it's it's only obliquely mentioned when that's what's necessary. So that's what the father has to do, but it doesn't have the same inherent requirement. Interesting. though. That's a, a general chiv, although the Raman says it's not always necessary. In theory, he's like the Nazai, so it's uh, possible that he wouldn't need to get married. Okay, perhaps that's uh, that's why the Raman doesn't mention it as an explicit chiv. We see over here that it is incumbent upon a father to mal his son. As we saw in the Mishnah, that does not apply to the mother. The Gemara is going to get into this. We're going to derive that shortly. How do we know by Mila that that is the case? As the verse states, And Avram circumcised his son Yitzchak. So we see that that is the father's responsibility. And where the father did not circumcise him, it becomes the obligation of the Bezdin, of the court, to circumcise. How do we know? As the verse states, You shall circumcise for you, plural, every male. And what if it slipped through the cracks and the Bezdin didn't do the job? He is personally required to circumcise himself. So the father didn't do it, the Bezdin didn't do it, then the son has to do it. As the verse states, how do we know this? And the uncircumcised male that has not removed the foreskin. That soul shall be cut off. So what, what is the derivation? Very interesting derivation. How do we know that the son is personally obligated? By virtue of the fact that there's a punishment, very severe punishment of kares spiritual excision, should he fail to circumcise himself? The Tosus Riazakin speaks out, from the fact that there is a very severe consequence for the son if he neglects this procedure, he will be subject to kares. So, it must be that he is commanded. Which is surprising. It is surprising. Because normally the rule is Normally, the fact that there's a punishment is not adequate to create. And as Hara, the command is a, is a separate source. The punishment is only coming after there's a command. So the fact that there's a punishment here, if that's the whole source of a command, that seems to defy the, the standard rule. From the fact there's a punishment, so you see he's commanded. Very surprising. So perhaps 
that rule, as the phraseology states, is azhara, is a warning to not violate a negative command, which technically this is not. This is a positive command upon the sun. We're trying to drive how we know, but it's a positive command to perform the circumcision, do the milah. Normally, the punishments are as a result of violating a negative command. So it's not so surprising that's the phraseology because that's when they're normally our own shin. The punishments come after violating Ashara. But is it dafka? Is it specifically that this formula, ain't on shim, elem kem azhirin, is it dafka azhara? Is it specifically when there's a warning to not violate? Or is the principle broadly applicable that the punishment is not brought, is, is, not, uh, is not itself the source of the obligation, positive or negative, there must be an obligation prior to the punishment, whether it be to not violate something or to do something. So that's the Shiloh. For some reason over here, this seems apparently to be different. Is it because it's Nase? I don't know. It's possible. Why is that should be different? Also, I don't know. And conceptually, why should there be any difference if the Klal is that the punishment should not be brought about unless there is a, an imperative either to do or not do, then we can have a punishment for violating that, the, the clause of what the Torah says to do or not do. Now, Rabbi Yossi in Sanhedrin points out that this cloud ain't onchim elim ke mazirin, applies to Jews. It's a specific Jew-centric concept. And for non-Jews, brings a, an interesting idea. We find that there are prohibitions that are mentioned that are applicable to Jews. Jews are warned not violate a whole slew of immoral acts. And the Torah says, because of these egregious abominations, God drove out the Canaanites, or will drive out the Canaanites from before us. And Rabbi Yossi points out that these abominations go beyond the prohibitions of Arias that apply, prohibited relationships that apply to non-Jews. So, he says this rule, only applies to Jews, not to non-Jews. For non-Jews, there's no such limitation. There could be a punishment, even without a specific warning. So, after we find that Mila is something that is critical for entering into the covenant. So even if a child is born as a Jew, but the mila, the circumcision, is the initiation rite, if you will, into the nation. And it could be that until that is done, so he is actually treated to a degree, at least for this purpose, as a non-Jew, subject to this stringency, onshim avapishen mazir. It could be a punishment even without a warning. 
Possibly. Perhaps that's why. Or another possibility is that the nature of this mitzvah, although it is a command, is different from most commands. Most commands are within the context of we have accepted upon ourselves to be servants of our God and God has accepted to be our God, to relate to us as such. That is a matter of covenant that we enter into this relationship. But to initiate the covenant, a command is not appropriate. Perhaps that is why there is no tzivui on the person himself formula. Meaning, even as a Jew, without saying that it's because he is not initiated yet, but because of the nature of covenant. So the father can be commanded to perform this, to initiate his son. And the court can also have such a requirement. But for the son himself, if it does fall on his own shoulders to enter into the covenant, so it must be of his own free will. It cannot be a command. Now, if he doesn't do this command, there can be consequences. If he doesn't enter into the covenant, there can be consequences for not entering the covenant. We see by Matan Torah, Klal Yisrael accepted the Torah. It was a covenant. But, as the Gemara Shabbat teaches us, God warned us that our existence, and in fact the existence of the entire creation, depended upon our acceptance. So, there, there was a degree of coercion in the sense that if we didn't accept well, then that would be uh, the end of the story. But we still had to accept it. And it, it was dependent on that acceptance. So that's the nature of covenant. You can't have it civilly before there's a covenant. Efsha. Efsha, that's, that's a possibility. And a substantiation or correlation, I should say, of, of this idea, is that the Yushalmi in Yavamas describes the element of coercion by brismila, by circumcision. This is in Yavamas in the 8th parak, in this edition, Mandala on the base. Eved Ish, the slave of a man, you circumcise him against his will. Ben ish But the son of a man, not a slave, but a born Jew who now is on his own independent, you do not circumcise him against his will. Now this seems to be an exception to the general approach mentioned in Exubis and in Hulin, that there is coercion, at least by some mitzvahs, to what degree the Gemara seems to, the Bryce seem to have a fairly broad application. So the person doesn't want to do the mitzvah of sukkah. So kofno sa'ach Why don't we just say, beat him up until he does the circumcision? We have a drasha. That's true by a slave. He is forcibly 
brought to Milo. Now, the, for the context, we're talking about a slave who accepted upon himself to be an Evid. And he understood what that was. If later he sees a knife and he says, well, actually I'm having second thoughts, that looks really sharp, and I don't want to do it. So then, after he'd accepted upon himself to be an Evid, that can be coercion. If he decided he doesn't want to do it, so then, then not. That's a different story. And he would not be maintained uh, as an Evid Kanani uh, under standard circumstances. Al-Koponim, by a Jew, the son of a man, he is not circumcised against his will. Even though he's obligated, as we're bringing out over here, the obligation does fall on his own shoulders when his father didn't do it and the Bezdin didn't do it. But there's no coercion, not Balkarcham. It could be because of this idea that the, the nature of the mitzvah's covenant is bris, and there's no kfiyah on bris. You can force him after he's in the bris. So he is bound, he's commanded to shakul lulav, or, or to sit in the sukkah. So if, there, if there's an obligation, so you can encourage him to fulfill his obligation within the framework of the bris. But to initiate, perhaps, that's not shayach. And that's why the, the source of his obligation is the fact that he would be subject to this punishment, of kares, but it's not actually an explicit command. Interestingly, if you look at the phraseology by Avram Avinu, it's different than what we find by, let's say, later in the Torah. We find many times, or earlier, we find many times that the Torah relates that someone who is obligated fulfilled the command as he was commanded. Kashet Siva also, we find this is described <clears throat> multiple times in the Torah, this idea. But if you look by Avram Avinu, it doesn't say Kashet Siva also, it doesn't say that. It says, Kashediber Ito Elohim. As God spoke with him, he fulfilled this. As God spoke with him. It doesn't say as he commanded him. It could be the same idea. It's, it's covenant. We're talking about covenant. So it's, it's pre-command. Al-Kopanim, Gemara does bring a derivation that he is personally responsible, even if there is this missing standard component of direct, explicit command. Continuing in the Gemara. How do we know that the woman is not obligated? Meaning to do Mila, circumcision for her son. It says, as God commanded him. Him and not her. As we mentioned, the, there is an element of coercion by the circumcision of slaves, which is part of that context. And there you do have Kashat Siba Oso Elohim. There, there, when he's, uh, or, or right, when, when, he's, uh, when he's performing the circumcision for his son. 
So that's that that element is a command for, for himself though. Asher that's not subject to tzivui. There's no kfiya on that. It's not balkarchum. It is interesting though that the Gemara doesn't say that Bezin forces the father. The Gemara says that the obligation switches to the Bezdin, which is also a surprising thing. Even though the Loshan Sivui is said when it's not the person for himself, but if the father neglects to do this, Bezdin steps in. It is Bezdin's job now, and we, we do not, it appears, we do not force the father, but Bezdin says, move out of the way, we're doing it. But not the woman. A woman is not obligated. Rashi. Kashatsiva Oso. Veloasara. Avram was commanded, not Sara. Ashkechan Miad. Adaras Minala. We find that this is the case right away. How do we know that this is true for the generations? Tanar Beir Bishmoel. Was taught in that Bismedrish of Bishmoel. Kol mokom shnema tzav, wherever the Torah says command, eno elo zeros miyad This is to give a sense of urgency, to, to perform with alacrity now and for the generations going forward. Zeros dechsiv, tzav es Yeshua. We find that this phraseology of tzav, command, is used in this encouragement as it says, that Tzavis Yeshua v'chazkehu v'amtsehu miyad u'udaraz. How do we know this is for that instant as well as for the generations? Tachsiv, as is written, menayom ha-shatziv Hashem v'hal u'udarasechem. From this day that God has commanded and going forward for the generations. So we see that it wasn't just, the Lashon Tzav tells you it wasn't just the, the concept, uh, the, the circumstance for Avram, excluding Sarah, but this is also going beyond that, Lederos, for the generations. Let's take a look in Yuvamos. Let's take a look at Rashi, Divramaskal Chavushin. Bishasasia, Umitzlos Milo, Muteles Alehem. Talking about the parents being imprisoned, it says that the command of Mila is incumbent upon them, the parents, father and mother, and not on others. They're not able to bring their Korban Pesach. In order to bring Korban Pesach, a person cannot have a Raylan in their household. It's coming to teach you that they're unable to eat if their son, well, his son, has not been circumcised. It holds him back. So it is very interesting. The, the switch, it says, if they went out at the time of eating, the circumcision of his son holds him back, even though we were talking about them. So apparently, the beginning of Rashi 
does recognize a degree of obligation upon the mother to, to do Mila for her son, but it is not of the same caliber as the father. The father's obligation requires that he perform the Mila, and if not, he can't bring the Karm Pesach. He cannot partake mm. of the Karm Pesach. Whereas the mother's obligation seems to be more generic. It seems to be on par with the general obligation, let's call it of Bezdin, which is the representative of the Tzibor, to not dwell among the uncircumcised of our nation. And that does not restrict any individual from bringing their Karm Pesach. There is an obligation on Bezdin. And anybody could be the appointed shliach of Bezdin to do the milah. But nobody is specifically held responsible and would be held back from bringing the Karm Pesach and partaking in it because it's not a member of their household. So the, the woman's obligation, it would seem, although it is called her mitzvah to a degree, it's a generic mitzvah. When our Gemara says, she's not obligated, it means in the way that he's obligated. But not that she is totally absolved from obligation. It would appear that she's obligated like everybody else to make sure that it happens to be that her son is under her jurisdiction. So perhaps there's a, a moral obligation that is upon her more so than others. But in, t- in terms of the technical requirement, it's not more upon her than anybody else and it would not hold her back from Korban Pesach. That is unique to the father. It's, it's his son, member of his household, he must make sure to perform the milah to be able to eat the Karm Pesach. Her obligation is less specific and more generic. He says this idea in the footnote in the bottom, name of Makne, that there is a chiv on the Isha, but just of the generic type. Continuing the Gemara, Lifdosa, to redeem him. How do we know this? Darsiv, as is written, Call the Chorbanecha, Tifte, all of the firstborn of your sons, you shall redeem. So this is an obligation. Apparently, the father towards the son. Vehecha de lo tarke avua, mechaib iu mifrike. And where the father did not redeem the son by giving the five silver coins to the Kohen, then it falls upon the person himself, the firstborn of a Bas Yisrael. So as opposed to Bas Kohen, Bas Levi. So he has to redeem himself. To see how do we know that? Pasuk says, in a double ocean, Pado Sifde, he shall surely redeem. But the double ocean includes the son himself. How do we know that the mother is not obligated to redeem her son? That's derived from the verse. Whoever is commanded to redeem himself, that person is commanded to redeem others. 
and anyone who is not subject to the obligation to redeem himself, he has no obligation to redeem others. Okay, so that would exclude a woman if we know that she's not obligated to redeem herself, but how do we know that itself? That's derived from the verse, Tifteh, Anyone who has others obligated to redeem them has an obligation to redeem themselves. And anyone who has no one else obligated to redeem them, he has no obligation to redeem himself. And how do we know that others are not obligated to redeem the woman. Dama Christ, the verse states, All of the firstborns of your sons you shall redeem, your sons and not your daughters. So that that's the ultimate derivation that we see that the mother is not obligated to redeem her son. Is this relationship of being obligated to redeem, having others obligated to redeem that person, and the woman is not subject to redeeming herself, it says, your sons, not your daughters. So the mother's exempt from redeeming her son as well. Rashi. We find that the person himself is obligated in Mila when he becomes an adult. We find this Right away, Avram never came. That is the case by Avram. Eino el loshen zeros, loshen sav, shehimahi vezoris bedavar v'noeg miad v'noeg l'deris. It's applicable right away and continuing for the generations. Tifte tipade kilomar karibe tipade. Bach explains. How do we know that the woman is not obligated? How do we know that his mother, she's not obligated to redeem her son? Since this is a, ta- a positive command, that is not time-bound, we need a verse to exclude her because it's not normally something that a woman would be exempt from. Liftos to redeem himself, when he is a firstborn, if his father failed to redeem him, we need a derivation that it falls upon the son himself. How do we know that the woman is not obligated herself? Granted that her father is not obligated to redeem her, as the verse states, the firstborn of your sons, maybe she should redeem herself when she grows up. We derive that the command falls upon the son as well. And this is a positive command that is not time-bound. So we need another de- derivation to exclude the woman from being party to this for herself, for others. Kol shachirim ha'av hu liftos, 
Interestingly, in contrast to the previous derivations, we find that when it comes to Pidin Aben, it goes straight from the father to the son. We don't say that if the son, if the father doesn't do it, it becomes Bezdin's obligation. Bezdin doesn't have to shell out money. Bezdin has to help people do mitzvahs, but Bezdin doesn't have to pay. This is a financial obligation, and if the father doesn't do it, then the son becomes financially bound and obligated to do the redemption for himself. Whereas Mila is not a financial obligation. It, it's something that has to happen. Shulchan Aruch discusses in the beginning of Hilchus Mila. What happens if it's hard to find a moral? What happens if there's a financial consideration over here? The, uh, can the Bezdin make an, an agree, agreement with the moral that they'll pay him and then not pay him? It's uh, not exactly the most uh, pleasant sugya over there. But, okay, they're not financially obligated, they just have to make sure it happens. So over here, by Pidin Aben, it is a financial obligation. Bezin's out of the picture. We, we find that the ability to hold out and demand payment for doing a mitzvah, although immoral, is binding. Hmm. We find in Yardea, Simon Shimlam Vav, that a, a healer, a doctor, who makes such a contract, it is binding if a, a, a contract to charge for his wisdom it is binding. And the Ramah explains that if it would be a ripoff, it would not be binding. If he's, if he's gouging for the, the product, let's say, so th- then it's not enforceable. But if he's charging for his wisdom, that is essentially priceless. He's not allowed to because... There's a mitzvah. There's a mitzvah to do, to heal. So similar to returning a lost object, returning his health. But if he does make a contract, it is, both sides agreed, it is binding because it's not his personal obligation. So in theory, for example, if he made such a contract with his wife, who he is personally obligated to heal because of the ksuba, it would not be a valid contract. He's already bound, personally required. So such a contract would be null and void. But since it's just a generic requirement, he could say, not not that it's the right thing to do, it's the wrong thing to do. But he could say, I'm charging you for my wisdom. It's not my personal responsibility, so that the fee would be enforceable if both sides agreed. So would you say a similar similar idea over here? Perhaps on on a personal level, that would be the case. By the Milo. It's not his personal achrayas. The, the moil could say, get another moil. Why do I have to do it? And pay me if you want me to do it. But in, in the event that really he is the only one who could do it, so essentially the court should in theory be able to force him if really he is the only one. So if they could force him, they could say, we'll pay you and not pay him. But if there really are other moil who could do it, so then they can't pick on one moil and say, you have to do it without pay. Uh, even though, again, he's not allowed to actually charge for the mitzvah, but it, it would be enforceable. The chiyuv on bezin is not a momentous chiyuv, it's not a financial obligation. It's an obligation to make sure it happens. 
have the circumcision performed. is not the Bezdin's problem. It is a financial obligation. Back to the Gemara. Tonor Rabbanon. Two lines from the bottom. Who liftos or liftos? If both the man and his son need pidyon, so the grandfather started this bad custom to not do pidyon aben. So two people now have to do pidyon aben. Who cut him a note? He comes before his son. Rabbi Yehuda Omer beno kodma. Rabbi Yehuda says his son comes before him. Shazam, it's also aviv. Because the, the father, his command is really on the, the, his father, so the grandfather. And the father, in, in our case, grandfather, father, and, and son. So the father, he is the one who has the command concerning his son. That's what Rabbi Huda says. So the, the, even though he has to, uh, the father... The middle generation also needs to be in The primary obligation for that is on his, on his own father, grandfather. Oh, my Rabbi Yirmiya. Rabbi Yirmiya qualifies this debate. I call Modim. Everybody agrees on the days. Any case where there's only the five silver coins, who cut him know? Then he comes before his son. My time. What's the reasoning? The obligation on his own person takes precedent. So what is this debate? Tanakama and Rabbi Yehuda. They argue in a unique case, not when there's only five slime, five silver coins. That's not a debate. Everyone agrees there that the person who owns the money should take care of himself. First, but in a case where there are five slime, there are five silver coins ready to be used, readily accessible, and five that are mishubadim, that are actually not accessible, they are mishubadim, there's a lien upon them. Let's see Rashi. Call hecha delesle nirse elahe slime. Anywhere where there are is only five slime. That's not the controversy. In such a case, even Rabbi Huda agrees. The person should be poda himself, he should redeem himself before his son. In this case, where there are five that are Mishubadim as well, that's where they disagree. Rabbi Huda Sovya, what does he hold? An obligation like a loan that is written in the Torah, has the status as though it was written in a document. And with these five, he should redeem his son. And the coin should go and grab from the five that are under lean, for himself, meaning for the for the father to to have himself redeemed, take from the five that are mishubadim. 
Rashi, Kiksuhu Beshtad Danu, it's as though it's written in a document. Pidin Asmo, Aymichiv Kodim. The obligation for his own redemption was earlier. Sheshibit Kakosov, it's before the property that he had was was subject to this lien. Vitrof es halakuchos, and therefore, the one who is his creditor has a right to collect his debt from the property that was sold post the initial lien. Hilkaf chamshmechari ika. Therefore, with the five that he has that are free and clear, just five gold, uh, silver coins, parak he should redeem his son. The enze ona. This is not considered. Uh, unfair type of gouging. Lilakuchos, for the bases, for the ones that had purchased. Because his obligation to redeem his son actually is more primary to his obligation to redeem himself. That was the, the statement of Rabbi Yehuda. So the, the case where it makes a difference is this case. So he will redeem the son with his money that he has in his hand. That he couldn't uh, do in any other way because it's a new development. And the coin will go and collect. He'll go and seize the value from the ones who purchased his land for his own redemption. And that's what the, the coin will do to help, so to speak, both mitzvahs be accomplished. So the, the obligation on the son is a new obligation. The son was just born. If he has five slime that were mishubadim, the value of five slime that were sold, prior to the birth of the son, that's not going to be eligible to satisfy this new debt of the mitzvah of Pidin Aben, of redeeming a son. The previous debt, his own obligation to redeem himself, that is before he sold the property. So if you say, like Rebido does, that this obligation that is written in the Torah is like it's written in a document, therefore, the Kohen has the ability to collect from the pre-existing debt, the debt to satisfy the redemption for the father. That is Shita's Rebuda. The Rabbanon, Rabbanon disagree. They say that this ability to collect from, for the creditor, to collect from the property that had a lien due to pre-existing debt, so the, the one who purchased it purchased this purchased it with essentially a cloud on title. So he's subject to it being taken to satisfy the debt if the debt is not satisfied by the seller slash borrower. So they say that the mitzvah natera of the person to do pitting a ben to redeem himself in this case, although it's a biblical requirement, it is not as though it's written in a star, it's not as though it was documented 
and Hilchach Mitzvah to Kufeva. Therefore, he can't actually have the Kohen go and collect from the, the people that he sold the land to. And he only has five Sela available. So his mitzvah of his, his personal requirement comes before his mitzvah to redeem his son. Now that's the case for this Machlokas. Rashi. And he will not collect from properties that had a lien and were sold. Back in the Gemara, Tanur Rabbanu, Livtos es beno, Vilalos l'regel. If somebody wants to redeem his son, he has a mitzvah to redeem his son, and he also has a mitzvah to do aliyah l'regel, to go for the pilgrimage. Podes beno, v'achakach ola l'regel. He should redeem his son, and then ascend to the pilgrimage. Rebuda omer, ola l'regel, v'achakach podes beno. Rebuda says, first, he should ascend for the pilgrimage, and then redeem his son. Rabita says the obligation to ascend for the pilgrimage is a mitzvah that if it's not done now during the pilgrimage, it will be lost. It's, it's a limited time offer. Whereas the pidyan aben, the redemption of his son, that is going to stick around. That obligation doesn't fall off. So he says, Rabita says the obligation of Alila Regal should take precedence because. It could be lost if it's not done first. Bishalom Rabbi Yehuda. It goes well for Rabbi Yehuda. Kedekamar Taima explains the reasoning. We understand the reasoning. Why did Rabbanan say the other way? Rabbi Yehuda has a pretty good svara. If one mitzvah is, is going to slip away if you don't do it. So it makes sense. Do that. Get both if you can. If you do it in the other order, you might miss the mitzvah veris. So why did the Rabbanan say their way? First, do the, the Pidyan Beno, and then Ali Larega. They drive it from a Pasuk to Amakra. It's a drasha. Pasuk says, Kol All of the firstborn of your sons you shall redeem. The Hadar, right afterwards, the Tadar says, You shall not see my face empty. Meaning, by the Ali Larega. There's a juxtaposition specifically in this order. First, redeem your firstborn son, and then you shall not see my face empty. So the, the Torah itself, it's exerzakos, essentially, that Chachamim hold, Rabbanon hold. This exerzakos tells you to not follow the svara of Rabbi which is a solid svara in general, that this surprising presentation of the Pasuk. That first opinion, and then do the Alila Rega. Tonu Rabbanam. Menayin Shim Hayalo. How do we know? Our sages taught it, but Bryson. Menayin Shim Hayalo Chamish Abanim. If he has five sons, Nechamish Nashim from five women, Shechayv lived to school, and how do we know that he's obligated to redeem all of them? Tavalomer, the verse states, Kol Bukhar Benechatevza. All firstborn. Of your son, you shall redeem. Shita, this is obvious. The Torah made it clearly dependent which firstborn, the firstborn of his mother that was the firstborn to his mother. What would I have had to say? 
Maybe I would have said that just like by Nachla, by inheritance, the Bechor is one Bechor, Milo and Reishis Ono, it's only his first son, first one born to him, Afkan Reishis Ono, so too over here, I would have thought maybe there's a comparison between Bechor and Bechor, Bechor for Nachla, to Bechor for Pidin Eben, therefore it's coming to teach you, this Bryce is telling you don't say that, and he's obligated to do Pidin Eben for each and every Bechor to his mother. <clears throat> does not depend on Rosh to his firstborn, his first strength. It depends on Peter Rechem, on being the firstborn to the mother. Then the father is obligated. So five firstborns from five women, he is obligated to redeem all five. The Lamb of Torah. One of the obligations was for the father to teach his son Torah. Minolan, how do we know this? Tersiv, based on the Pasuk, Vidimadatem osam as benechem, and you shall teach them to your sons. And where the father did not teach the son, he personally is obligated to teach himself. That is derived from the Pasuk. Ulamadatem. The Pasuk in Dvarim. Ulamadatem. So just the, the context of the Pasuk, it says, Shema Yisrael, Esa Chukim, Vesa Mishpatim, Asher Anochi, Dover, Bozneichem, Hayom, Ulamadetem, Osam, Ushmaretem, Lasa Osam. So this is a general obligation. You shall learn them. Meaning you shall teach yourselves them. Ihi minolan to How do we know? that a woman is not obligated to teach her son. Similar to the process we described by Pidin Eben, anyone who is obligated to learn is obligated to teach. Anyone who is not obligated to learn, there is no obligation to come upon them to teach. How do we know that she's not obligated to teach herself? Anyone who others are obligated to teach him must teach himself. And anyone who has no one obligated to teach him, he has no personal obligation to teach himself. And how do we know that others are not obligated to teach a woman? As the verse states, And you shall learn them, your sons, and not your daughters. There's no chiv to teach your daughters, and therefore, she's not obligated to teach her son. And she's not obligated to teach herself. Now, this is true describing the essential obligation of Talmud Torah, but the knowledge for Shemir Samitzvah obviously is incumbent upon a Jewish woman. So whatever a person needs to know, a woman needs to know how to keep the Torah that applies to her, as we said. 
that's certainly her requirement to know, but it is not a chiyuv limud per se. It's a, it's a requirement, just what she needs to do, without being a mitzvah. Tana Rabbana, hu lilmod, ubno lilmod. Before we go to that, so let's just see the Rambam, very interesting Rambam, that when he is obligated to teach his son, if he doesn't, the son becomes obligated to teach himself. Mm. When does that happen? At what point does the obligation shift? So in Hilchos Talmud Torah, the Rambam says, "Perakal halacha gimel, v'chayev liskor melamid libno ulalamdo," and a man is obligated to hire a teacher for his son and to teach him. Ve'eno chayev lamid ben chaver elo abachinam. He's not required to teach his friend's son other than for free. So tuition is for the parents, you could see perhaps for the grandparents, but not for others. Someone whose father did not teach him, he is obligated to teach himself when he recognizes. When does this obligation take place? Someone whose father did not teach him at the point at which the son recognizes that his father didn't teach him and he needs to learn, it becomes the son's obligation. This pasuk we saw. And that is the general rule that the learning comes before actions. The learning brings to actions, but actions do not bring to learning. So as soon as the son recognizes that there's something missing here, he's not being taught, his father is not doing his job, it becomes the son's obligation. This is massive. This, this is astounding. doesn't say, like we would expect, call Tarkula, when does someone become bar mitzvah? When does he have obligations? Well, when he's bar mitzvah. When he becomes an adult. Mazel tov on your bar mitzvah. Go and teach yourself Torah. That's not what the Raman says. When he recognizes. Could be six years old, very precocious child. Sees his father slacking off. He has to teach himself. He becomes mochoyiv. When the father doesn't do his job. It doesn't say... He becomes chayev inherently, independent of the father doing his job or not. It's couched within the context of his father not teaching him. So even if he is makit, that he needs to learn, but his father's doing the job, he's not personally responsible. Interesting. His personal responsibility for himself is, is only when the father's not doing his job and the son recognizes that there's something missing here he needs to learn. Remarkable. Now, L'chero, even though it's not explicit over here, the son's obligation is to teach himself, but not to hire out 
a malame to, to hire somebody to teach him. We, we don't find a minor being required to spend money. It's unusual. Since it's not mistabit, there should be. It's not, it's not plausible. There should be a financial obligation here. But to the extent he's able to teach himself. So remarkably, that seems to be, according to the Ramah, applicable as soon as he recognizes that he needs it. When he becomes by mitzvah, so then I'll have to pay also, like other financial responsibilities. But l'cher, it's not more chomer than if the kid steals. If he steals, he has to make restitution. That doesn't apply to a minor. So presumably this obligation to teach himself will not include a financial burden <coughs> towards that until he becomes bar mitzvah. The Me'iri points out, Ha'av chayv l'lamed Kamoshabiano. The father is obligated to teach his son Torah, as we've explained. Higdil haben v'lo hishtadel av belimudo. If the son comes of age, and his father did not toil to teach him, chayv hulishtadel basmo, he has to try himself. So here the Meiri is speaking within a framework what we'd expect Higdil Haben when the son becomes Bar Mitzvah he's now an adult but the general rule is that the Meiri is not arguing on the Ramah there are of course exceptions but based on that default it would seem that the Meiri is giving extra additional Halacha here that you wouldn't know necessarily from the Ramam. The Ramam talks about Kishayakir. But what if he's not Makir? What if this kid is a little bit obtuse and he doesn't really recognize this need? He's not the six-year-old precocious child that recognizes he needs to learn. He's 13 and immature. Well, too bad. As soon as he becomes an adult, he's held responsible. Higdil Haben. Doesn't matter how much he recognizes or not it does become his responsibility. That could be the Hosafa of the Me'iri, not necessarily arguing on the Ramah, but rather telling us that the obligation that the Ramah said, Kishiyaki, when he recognizes the need, that is a Chumrah that is applicable when the father didn't teach him and he's a minor, but you don't need Kishiyaki, you don't need the, the context of the son recognizing the need to generate the obligation, being an adult is enough. Like Kol Tarkula. This certainly would be against the Chinuch. The Chinuch says the other way. In Mitzvah Taf Yud Tes, Mitzvah Talmud Terah, and someone who is not taught by his parents or ancestors, father and grandfather, Shehem Hayovin Bezeh, Kegon Ave Vaavi Ave, like his father and his father's father. Chayev Lulamid Atzmo, he's obligated to teach himself. Kishiyye Godol, when he becomes an adult, Vigyakir Bedover, and recognize the matter. According to the Chinuch, it's quite surprising the other way. Chinuch is saying, you need Kishiyakir to become Chayev. 
all the bar mitzvah, chiyuvim, he recognizes it, he doesn't recognize it, ready or not, here you go, you're bar mitzvah, you're held responsible. Over here, the chinuch is saying akula, a leniency, that in order to be chayiv, to teach himself, to be obligated to teach himself Torah, he must be an adult, and also recognize the lack. He needs to recognize that he needs to learn, and only then does he become obligated, unlike <laughs> other mitzvahs, that he becomes obligated as soon as he's by mitzvah, whether he recognizes it or not, he could say he's onus. He doesn't, he's raised in an environment, he doesn't realize he has such a chiyuv. He's onus, but he has a chiyuv. In this mitzvah, according to the chinuch, kishayakir is an additional stipulation. In order to be chayev, in order to be liable, and be required personally to educate himself, it's not enough that he's an adult. He also has to recognize the lack. Interesting. Chinuch. The Shulchan Arav mentions both the chiv, like the Rama, kishayakir, which seems to be a chomra, a stringency, even without him being an adult, he is required as soon as he recognizes that his father has not done the job or is not doing the job. And he then says for a subsequent requirement to plan out his learning, to be mishalish, to divide his time through various elements of the Torah, that requirement, that foresight requires a greater degree of sophistication. That is not incumbent upon the minor. That requires this next step of Kishiyagdil, he has to be already an adult, and he's, he is gaining a degree of proficiency in the Torah. That's when there's a new obligation to map out and plan out his learning in a more methodical way. But the essential chiyuv, it seems, from the Balatanya and Shulchan Acharav, that the chiyuv is, like the Raman says, as soon as he recognizes that his father is not doing the job. Continuing in the Gemara. Tanarabana. Hu lilmod, ubno lilmod. What if he needs to learn, a man needs to learn, and his son needs to learn? Hu karanubno. His obligation precedes that of his sons. Man has to teach himself, he has to teach his son. He comes first. Rabbi Yudo Omer, im bno zarz umamulach, vid tamurim eskayim biyado. If the son excels. So he's got better kaling. He's, he's sharper, better retention. The son is a better Talmud than he is. So then, then his son takes precedence. But, if not, there's, there's no clear indication the son is better, so he comes first. Like that, in the story of Rav Yaakov, the son of Rav Acha by Yaakov, Shadre Avua, Abaye, his father sent him to learn before Abaye. Ki also, when he came, the son and father are reunited. He saw that the son was not having a sharp understanding of the teaching. The son was not so much in his yeshiva. Amalei ana adif naminach. The father said, "I'm better than you." Two of you go back. There's an ana that I should be able to go. We can only afford tuition for one person. 
I have to learn and you have to learn. I just figured you what you learned over the past month. Gorshvach. Don't know a word. So you go, you work in the shop and I'll go to yeshiva. Shoma Abaye. Abaye heard. Rosh Yeshiva. Kabaosi. That he was coming. The father is coming. Habayahu mazik. Be'erabon Abaye. And there was a damager that was prowling around in the base medrash of Abaye. Type of mazik over here. The chihavo aili betrayed. Afil b'mama. Have mitzki. This was a very powerful and dangerous mazik that even when two people came in during the day, which are both factors that should reduce the damage that a damager would cause, still, this damager was causing damage, messing up the, the uh, situation for Nishiva. Amar lahu, lo leisiv inish So Abayah said, sent out the word to the people in the town, nobody should host him. Do not host our new Yeshiva Bachar, mm-hmm. father. After the Misrachash Nisa, maybe we'll have a miracle. He's hoping. Oh, Bas, Bahu, Berabanon. Bas, Rashi says, Lon. So, all Bas, the father came in and he didn't find anybody to host him. So, he decided, okay, I'll sleep in the base medrash. Nobody's hosting me. So, that's what I'll do. And this mazik that was causing problems even with two people during the day, certainly when he was there by himself at night in the base medrash, was coming out swinging hmm. and appeared to him like a seven-headed serpent. Kol kriya dekara, and every bowing that he bowed, one of the heads fell off. So he was able to vanquish this mazik. See Rashi. It was at a distance from the town. Rashi mentions elsewhere, apparently, the base medrash wasn't in, in town. Lo Abai said, the people around do not give Rav Acha lodging. He'll be forced to sleep in the base medrash. Because he's so pious, he'll have a miracle. And he'll kill this mazik that is terrorizing us. Bas, long he dwelled for the night. The mazik appeared to him. That this mazik presented himself as having seven skulls. Kol kriya dekara, every bow that he bowed, Rav Acha, mispalel, he was praying, al osamazik, concerning this damager, notachad resha, one head fell off. So back to the Gemara, Amar lehu lemachar, so he said to them, the next day, ilo israchish nisa, sechintin, if not for the fact that a miracle was done, I would have been in danger. Rashi, Sakintin, Sikantemosi, you put me in danger. 
basically saying you guys shouldn't have done that. So he's going to learn by Abaye, and Abaye is busy uh, endangering him. So yes, Abaye was expecting a miracle, and a miracle did happen, but Ravacha was not particularly pleased. He says, you endangered me. Who says that you can expect a miracle? Sending me to, to this uh, dangerous seven-headed dragon over here. Uh, was not particularly pleased. I don't know what happened next. I don't know if he decided to find another yeshiva, or send his son back to yeshiva. Hmm. I don't know what happened next, but at least the base medrash was cleared out. That was, that was good. But uh, fascinating mice over here. Tonu Rabbanan. A sage is taught, Lilmod Torah Velisa Isha. As we see in a number of cases where there are two imperatives, what should be done? What if he needs to learn and he needs to get married? Lilmod Torah Vahakah Isha. He should learn Torah and then get married. Vim E. Efshel Velo Isha, if he's not able to learn properly without being married, then Isha Isha Vahakah Himot Torah. Then he should get married and then learn Torah. Amr Abiyud Amr Shmuel, Halacha Nose Isha Vahakah Himot Torah. Ravida, the name of Shmuel says, he should first get married and then learn. Notice that there's no in Mishpat on this. Rabbi Yochanan Amar, Rechaim B'Tzavara, Yasevater, Rabbi Yochanan said, if he has the mill on his neck, the financial obligation to support his wife and children, is he going to be able to learn? How is he going to be able to learn? Velo Pligi, the Gemara says, it's not a machlokas, halon v'halohu. Machlokas Rashi tells us what that means. But this is for us and this is for them. Meaning it depends on the circumstance. Rashi. Halon haluhu. B'nei Babel hayu holchin v'garsin. Mishnais atanayim b'Eretz Yisrael. The Babylonian Jews would go to Yeshiva in Eretz Yisrael. Mitoch shalom demchutz v'mokomam. Since they were learning outside of their location that they live. Ein tzarabayas mitolim alav. So the needs of the home do not fall upon him. No Isha, he could get married. Davlo here, without any distractions. Then he can go and learn Torah. Lihu, for them, for those that are living in Israel, so they are learning where they live. They're not uh, going abroad to learn. If they get married, then the needs of the home are going to fall on his shoulders. And he's not going to be able to learn. That's what Rabbi Yochanan said. How's it going to be? You want him to get married and then learn. He's going to be so busy taking care of his wife and children. He's not going to be able to learn. That's the B'nai Eretz Yisrael. B'nai Bavel, get married, leave, go to Yeshiva afterwards. No problem. So that's the, not a machlokis, but just a difference of social setup. You had an Europe like that also, that you had Jungerlite. They spent the entire time in Yeshiva, and they went back for Yom Tovim to their homes, different cities. Pasha, they lived in different cities from when they learned in Yeshiva. So that was like the Bnei Bavel going to Eretz Yisrael. Shulchan Aruch says, there's a chiv to learn Torah. Everybody, even till the last day, what's the biggest chiddish who's chayv in Talmud Torah? It's quoting the Raman, really. Even somebody as a wife and children. That's the, the pinnacle. You want to know who's going to be most distracted, most consumed with other things. Guy's got a wife and children. Forget it. 
I'm not going to learn a word. Good luck. He's still high. He's still high. But that's where Rabbi says, what? You think he's going to be able to do the job? To really apply himself to Torah in, in a serious way when he's got to deal with supporting his wife and children? Good luck. Okay, but he's high. He's high. It's the biggest chiddush. Continuing with the Gemara. So Rav Chisto was praising to Rav Huna that Rav Hamnuna was a great man. So when he comes to your hand, bring him to my hand. Let me meet him. When he saw him, he came in and he saw that he was not wearing the sudra, he's not wearing his turban. Amalei, my time all, lo, please sudra, why are you not wearing your hat? Amalei, the lo no simno. He says, I'm not married yet. Young man wears a hat, I'm not wearing a hat. Adrenal apimine, he turned his face away from him. Amalei, chazi lo chazi slohu, the api, he says, you should see to it that you don't see my face. Ad Nisavas, till you get married. Get out of here. When you get married, you can come back. Ravhuna Lutame. This is Ravhuna according to his own reasoning. The Amar Benesh Shana. Ravhuna is very strict. He said, if a man is 20, Lonasishan, he didn't get married. Call Yom His entire life, all of his days are with sin. Bavera Sagadat, what he's sinning? Ella Ema Koyama Bihira Rather, it means that he's susceptible to sinful thoughts. Omar Rava, Chayin Tamad Be'er Bishmol, and Rava said, and so was taught, in Beis Medrash Upper Bishmol, Ad Chof Shona, Yosh V'Kadosh Baruch Hu, Mitzapeh, L'Odom, until 20 years. The Holy One, blessed be he, sits and anticipates for a man, Mosa Yisaisha, when will he get married to a woman? Kibin Shegiachaf, V'lo Nasa, 20 comes and goes, he didn't get married. Omer, Tivachatz Mosa, he says, May his bones explode, uh, expand. Omar Rafista, hi, that if not, Mechadrai. Rafista said, that which I am superior to my friends. Nasivna, Vishetsar, that I got married at 16. We have a Nasivna, and if I would have gotten married at 14, I would have said to the accuser, this is an arrow in your eyes. Generally, a bad idea to speak that way to the Sultan, but basically saying, uh, game over for the Sultan. Rashi, Kilomar Haisi, Misgarabo, the Sultan Yitzahara, Velo Ira, Shechteni. I would be confident that I would not ever come into the clutches of sin. Amalei Rava, Rabbi Nasan, Barami, Lididcha, Ad Sabrai. He said, While your hand is on the neck of your son, when is it that a person should marry off his son? Rashi speaks out. When your hand is strong on your son, before he becomes an adult, and he will not accept your rebuke. Before that point, marry him off. When is that? From 16 till 22. Rashi. Neshit Sashanin. Higiyah's man lichnos. 
That's already the beginning of this time frame. But do not delay more than 22. While your hand is on the neck of your son. At the time when your hand is still strong upon him. Make sure to give him Moser. Teach him rebuke. When is it the right time to give rebuke? From 16 to 22. When he's less than 16, he's not really able to receive the rebuke so much. And do not be heavy with punishment and rebuke. More than 22. And at that point, he's already over 22. You should be concerned that he shouldn't be rebellious. And Rashi says, Ze'ikah, that is the primary interpretation. The Amri law, another version in the Gemara, Tam Nisari, Ad Esrim from 18 until 24. Ketanai, as it was taught, Chnochanai al Pidakal, that a person should teach the youth according to his own path. Behuda of Rabbi Nehemia, we have a machlok sanayim. What the uh, framework under discussion is, Rabbi Yehuda and Rabbi Nehemia, Chadamar Mishit Zavad Esrim Tartin. One said from sixteen till twenty-two. Chadamar Mitam Nesari Vad Esrim Arba. One said from eighteen till twenty-four. And uh, as is known today, uh, a person's development, the development of the brain. Does continue up to approximately 24. The ability to restrain an impulse is not fully complete until about 24, and that is the the window a person will be most receptive within that range when they're mature enough between 16 and 18 starting, and before their own conclusion of their formative years, 22 to 24, that is the, the sweet spot for this type of tochacha, and as we saw also, the importance of getting married within that time frame, that, that development, from one's youth, a person should take the yoke, the burden of marriage, and what does it mean from his youth? Like a Mishnah let's say we find it means the movement, there is development, there is shifting. While the man is still a young man, it is appropriate for him to get married, that he should take on this burden and grow together with his wife. That is the ideal of this Omenurov when he is yet young. That is the, the appropriate time frame, not when he's already old, set in his ways, fully developed. He should enter into marriage earlier than that within this time frame.